Do you mind if I muted myself for just call it another few minutes? This chess game, I'm like at the finish line. I don't know if you play chess, but like not competitively. Up six points. Um, I like to play these timed games, and I feel like if I don't finish this, I'm gonna feel really dumb. Also, can you hear me better like this or with the earbuds? I think like I think like that actually. Like this? Yeah. By the way, I recorded that little um, back and forth about the chess game. That'll totally go in the podcast. (laughs) Great. I feel like there's no better way to get the um, get the juices flowing in my head before a podcast than a competitive game of chess. (laughs) That's funny. I I'm I enjoy chess when I play it, but I never go out of my way to. I just like if it happens to be there, I'll play it. But that's it. Yeah, I I got I so I didn't even know how to play chess until I want to say like four or five years ago. Um, and one of my colleagues at Life Three Sixty taught me. One of my good friends, and um, and then I found out like a bunch of my other friends apparently know how to play chess too. And it's just like a thing that people learn when they were kids that I just didn't learn. Yeah. Um, and as you re- you start realizing why there's so many like books that are written about chess, there's like hundreds and hundreds of like strategies and for some reason i've if i have like 30 minutes to kill or something like that like i had right before this podcast uh, i'll do like a timed game or something and yeah chess.com will let you do like a 10 minute per person time game or like a 30 minute per person time game and i was like i could squeeze a 30 minute per person game like usually those end earlier and this this person was just taking their sweet time so right Apologies for starting late. No worries. Sorry, I'm getting a call. I need to decline it without looking like a jerk. All right, that's enough time. You know when you know when people call you and you don't want to pick up, but you don't want to decline immediately because it looks obviously like you decline the call. Yeah, but that said, you know, I feel like there's something inherently um, presumptuous about just assuming that when you call someone, they're just going to stop doing what they're doing and like take your call. I mean, this is like we live in a world where I think the expectation these days is if you're going to call someone, you're going to like text them ahead of time and be like, hey, like, is this a good time for you to chat? Or am I just going to like bother I think, you? I think this was a doctor I was waiting on a call back for. That's the thing. Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I don't, I mean, that's a professional, that's a professional call in my opinion. And uh, I think it's entirely reasonable for your doctor to leave you a voicemail. Right? Oh, I know. That's what I'm going to do. <laughs> I just feel, I still feel weird about it. Why? I don't know. <laughs> are you are you violating some uh, social contract where in which you're supposed to like answer the phone when people call or like? Probably not. Probably not. That guilt, man. That guilt's eating you. It really does. Yeah. How's your day so far? Um. Okay. I'm I'm in a weird weird headspace with regard to a lot of things. Just like a lot of frustrating and stressful and sad things kind of all happening at once. Not to mention all of the other really frustrating things. I'm in a very weird headspace, which might make for a good conversation today. Um, I don't know. Well, if if you want, um, so I'm I'm assuming we're gonna like edit this part of the the. the oh yeah. You know, what's funny to me, or not so funny, but maybe ironic, is one of the things we're gonna talk about today is misanthropy, um, kind of like relationships with other people, and how you can potentially sometimes define yourself maybe as like a misanthrope. Uh, I Googled it uh, before the call and it's like someone who doesn't necessarily like enjoy or avoids the other, the company of other people. But at the same time, you're, you're clearly demonstrating a deep care for other people by wanting to do meaningful work for like society and stuff. Yeah. First of all, have you watched the show house? Because that 
like if you need a definition for misanthrope, just watch the show House with Hugh Laurie. Um, I've seen episodes, but he he's just like the super genius kind of guy who what, he doesn't like people. Is that what it's? Yeah, he doesn't he doesn't like and doesn't trust people, but he uses that and like obviously his like intelligence, whatever intuition to like solve really gnarly medical mysteries it's kind of a bullshit show in some ways but it's like it's a really good example of just like a huge misanthrope who ends up having to deal with like maybe he does sometimes empathize people with people at least he shows a capability to do so i definitely don't find myself at that end of the spectrum what i what it sort of led me to so like basically we had started talking about some of our motivations in the job of being a pm and i think our last chat and you were very motivated by a lot of the things that come with working on a team like identifying people's strengths like kind of channeling the strengths of other people to uh, work on a really like ship a ship a great product and and come together as a team in order to do something really important um i found it interesting that like i don't really find myself motivated by that part of the job i feel like it's a necessary part of the job i like working with people I've taken multiple personality tests in which I've come out as an extrovert, which is hilarious to me because <laughs> my wife is a super introvert. I think of myself very similar to my wife, but like I'm basically the extroverted version of her. I am not burned out by like intense periods of social interaction. I do get energized by intense periods of social interaction. I just also really like being alone, working on things by myself, maybe to my own detriment because I'm an extrovert. I don't know. I do crave some social interaction, but I think what, what I'm saying is that that's not a motivator to the type of work I want to do. I'm, for some reason, much more motivated by the problem space that we're in. Um, so for example, we were talk just talking about that before we started recording. I was motivated by abstract very similarly in the way that you were, where I just found the problem space super, super interesting and, and the product a, a really interesting approach to solving the problem. Do I find working with people to solve that problem really exciting? Sure. I like having good interpersonal relationships. I love gossiping with people at work. I, I love like having that win at the end of a really tough sprint or a really um like a really long project but i also get really really um, probably disproportionately affected by things that frustrate me in the interpersonal relationships i think that that's to say like i just get very intensely affected by those things to the point where like i start to feel misanthropic or i start mm -hmm. to like not trust people maybe not distrust people that's probably a bad thing to say and put on the internet um but i I start to get very, um, I feel misanthropic in my perception of the people around me. Whether or not that's actually true is another thing. So what, what I'm hearing is that there, there are clearly uh, advantages and times when you get a lot of energy and get excited about being with people. And then there might be some other periods where it feels like um, spending time with people is uh, maybe being a detriment to your like well-being or something. Or, or maybe you find yourself in ruminating thought patterns about the relationships with the people and that makes you maybe avoid people more or something like that. Is that one way, am I understanding it? I think that's part of it. I think I, I used the word intensely before and I feel like that's a good, a good thing to dig into, which is I probably spend too much of my time thinking about the good and bad of interpersonal relationships 
maybe due to extroversion, maybe due to anxiety or other things that I need to get under control better. Uh, it like really bugs me. And I, it, it makes me sometimes resentful or not feeling super good about the like interpersonal relationship influencing people management side of product management. I think there's another part of it that I also like don't love, which is it, it just feels very snarky and political sometimes our job. I see on LinkedIn all the time, this is actually something I'd love to get into with you later, just like our general feelings about LinkedIn and the things people post on LinkedIn. <laughs> like people in the product field, like talking about how like influence and exercising and commanding influence is such a critical part of our job. And I don't disagree with that notion. I just don't love that that's part of how I am successful at my job. I feel like a slimy politician sometimes. And I then think about in the state of the world as it is today, would I be successful in a role like that? Should I go into that arena? Um, am I no better than those people in that arena? And that's what also leaves me just like not loving uh, interpersonal interactions and not really wanting to like get into that, to get into some of the like misanthropy and distancing so, side of things. Just to chime in, as someone who's worked with you, uh, I think that you actually ended up developing influence and by, by gaining the respect of the other people at the company that worked with you through competence. So I don't think I, I would have, when I reflect on our relationship working together and the amount of influence that you were able to build up in a very short amount of time after joining the company, I don't think you did anything that was like gross or like overly political in order to gain that influence. I think you actually gained it because, because of your, your merit and because of the competence of the work that you did. And you did a lot of work and you, you brought a lot of clarity into very ambiguous areas of, that were very important to the company that I can tell you for, for months before you joined were very important to the company, but no one, myself included, had been able to, I think, like articulate the clarity of the types of solutions that would be solving the problems. And, and I think that I hear you that sometimes it's kind of like an icky aspect of the job that you have to be effective through influence. But ultimately, when you just kind of zoom out and think about like how to get a company to run, well, a company is just a collection of people. You have to inevitably get teams formed and those teams have to be able to get work done. So how can you actually mobilize teams to like work on the things that are most important? Someone has to be able to like tell a good story at, at some point about where, what, what is most important. I think that's the real skill of, of really good PMs uh, and product people in general, or just leaders in general is like storytelling. Yeah. And you could make the case that like storytelling can be like very cliche. Um, like you can think of some like big, C big company CEOs or uh, founders who get on stage and tell like a story and you're like, wow, you can tell they rehearsed that story like a hundred times when they mm -hmm. give it. But good stories stick in people's memory way more than facts and figures. So it's like a trade-off. Like, do you want to tell a story at the, at the risk of coming off maybe a little overly polished or cliche or political or whatever? Or do you want to just be the one giving all the data that no one ends up remembering and you don't exude any sort of emotional reaction in people that drives them to take action, right? Yeah. A lot of what you said is interesting to me. If only because I feel like the way that I've been successful in my career so far has actually been by like not doing a lot of the things you just said. Um, so for example, you just said I commended, I gained a lot of kind of 
influence and commanded a lot of respect pretty quickly on it in my career, at least at Abstract. I would say probably I've been told the same in my previous gigs. Like I, I consider that a strength of mine is I can kind of learn a subject matter quickly. I can articulate and translate a clear articulation of a problem space, a strategy or whatever it is. What I found most successful for me is by actually not being well rehearsed and being very just raw and collaborative and exploratory with the problem space rather than being super polished. I, I, I remember receiving feedback very early on in my career that like I do a very good job of working with my teams and driving for action and just shipping, shipping good products and that show impacts. However, my communication skills, especially in a high attendance environment, need to be improved. Um, that is actually something that's burned me multiple times in my career before. I don't know why, because in spite of all that, I am somehow effective at being my job. Mm. So I, I find myself really kind of confused sometimes or questioning, like, what does it mean to have influence and what does it mean to be motivating as a team leader? Or what does it mean to be a successful product manager if like you're just kind of rolling with the punches and and being very honest and collaborative and 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 all of that with your team rather than being like a polished storyteller or a uh i don't know a a politician i know we kind of got off of the original topic of motivation uh motivations and kind of team versus uh kind of misanthropic parts of the job but to bring it back to me it actually feels like a lot of this does correlate to it itself because I do, like like I said before, I do sometimes like working on a team. I think I'm just more motivated by the problem space than working on a team. I'm extremely unmotivated by the presentation layer aspects mm. of the job, which is interesting because it kind of means you're, it, it, that's kind of the part of the job where you're representing your team and, and telling the story that or championing the win. I just like to get in and do the work. Um, yeah, and and wouldn't it, it would be it would be great if we could just do the work. But the truth is that it, it, most companies have some kind of hierarchy, like an org chart, and people are held accountable, like at all levels of the hierarchy. And while you and I live on the ground level as ICPMs and our teams that we work on, typically is like a trifecta of some sort in a cross-functional squad, like designers, engineers. Over time, there's a there's a shared narrative that gets developed within the the trifecta that's essentially on the ground. And that, and that narrative makes a lot of sense to the people who have all of the data points for the most part to create, to, that, that informs the narrative. The problem is that when you get one layer, two layers, three layers above the hierarchy, in the hierarchy, those people don't have all the information and they shouldn't need to have all the information. They should essentially trust the information, like the kind of TLDR from each level below them in the hierarchy. Um, that's like a well-functioning hierarchy in my opinion, where like there is a lot of trust and autonomy at every level of the hierarchy and decision-making authority. The presentational skills element is essentially a mechanism, I think, for ensuring that the people above you in the hierarchy have the, the, the right amount of information, the opportunity to ask you questions, clarify things. So I, I agree with you about that. I don't enjoy the act of kind of like having to like sell the narrative up, up or horizontally, however you want to put it. It's kind of like self-evident sometimes that the narrative makes sense. So why do I need to like, why do I need to like explain it? And then I just have to remind myself sometimes that what's obvious to me based on everything I know is not at all obvious to people that don't know what I know. 
And I think that's kind of like the key. That's like the, 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 the skill part of this, I guess, is like the, the ability to just remember that, right? Like to remind yourself, these people don't know why we're doing this. I have to repeat myself over and over and over again to everyone I talk to and try to figure out how I'm wrong. Yeah. Um, but, but I think that the, the process of getting my team on the same page, um, I, I do enjoy that part. Um, like the, the designers and engineers I work with, I, I definitely enjoy that part way more than I enjoy kind of like shopping it upwards. Uh, I know I have to get better at both, but I, I, one of them is definitely more enjoyable for me than the other. Yeah. Does that make sense? It does a bit. I think what I'm, what I'm kind of swirling around in my head is I get a lot of, I, you're absolutely right that there's a lot of this stuff that is like part of the job. I think where I find myself often falling into, again, to try and bring this back to what we originally started talking about, was a lot of that, that activity, while I understand the importance of it, I understand the value, like the, the satisfaction that it provides, not just for me, but for my team, my stakeholders, leadership, whoever's involved in, in the conversation. I, I, I find myself sometimes unable to shake the feeling that either I'm being really slimy or really annoying, or not necessarily that it's obvious to me and not obvious to others, but I, I find myself slipping into habits of like, do these people not trust me? Do I not trust them? Trust building is super, super, super important. Yes. Um, I can't help but feeling, especially when part of my job as a product manager is not just to sell ideas and um, champion ideas, but also to question ideas and sometimes actually relentlessly question them in an effort to focus, let's say, or shut down a thread that is potentially risky or touchy or whatever it is. I find myself like really deeply getting into the like, what are the motivations here? And that gets me back into this like feeling of misanthropy that I keep coming back to, um, yeah, which then ultimately leads me to yeah. the like motivating factors question from earlier. Yeah, no, I, I'd love to dig into this with you because I think trust is a really interesting topic that uh, I'd love to get your thoughts on and also this motivations. And I feel like, do, do you agree to some degree that it's, it's, it's hard to be motivated to collaborate with people if you don't trust them? For sure. I, like you said before, I think one of the reasons why I'm able to collaborate with people well is because they trust me. And I think there's a variety of reasons in which they do. And I'm sure and there's a variety of reasons why teams you've worked with have grown to trust you. I, I've grown to trust you even in light of um, what you're describing as like incessant questioning or like unrelenting questioning. And actually when you've, you've pushed back on things I've said, it made me respect you more and, and trust you more because you didn't seem to be playing any sort of like manipulative game. You know what I mean? It's like, it was very clear what you were trying to get at. It was clear that you were curious. And um, I think that builds trust for sure. I'm just curious, obviously no, don't name names or anything, but like, what are the types of things that people you think have done in the last six months that you've, or in your career, you know, maybe well over the last few years that uh, maybe like erode trust or like things that make you don't not trust people at work? Honestly, a lot of it probably falls back to gossip or mm -hmm. gossip-esque things. But I think like, I think there, there's a, there's a distinction that I'll make between distrust and misanthropy, which is not necessarily distrust all the time. What I think I'm more falling into is the like, 
there's a lot of this stuff that makes me feel slimy and I'd rather just not work with people. <laughs> mm. If that makes sense. So sometimes it feels almost like people are getting in the way uh, of doing, doing what needs to be done. Either getting in the way or just not, not leaving me excited to work with them. And, uh, and, and just, just to keep digging. Cause I told you I was, I was interested in digging a little bit today. What, what is the type of thing like behavior that a person could do that like is not necessarily gossip, but it's something that might make you less excited to work with them. I think this is a really interesting kind of like headspace to be in right now. Yeah, no, it's interesting because as I think about it, like it's really hard for me to pinpoint anything that is not just like obviously blatant or condescending um, type of dialogue. Like that, that is stuff that frustrates everybody and that should be dealt with. I, I wonder how much of this is a mixture of other things that are sort of bleeding into the mix there. For example, I've been in situations where I've just not been super motivated about a particular problem that we have to solve for any number of reasons. Maybe I just like don't find that problem really interesting and I want it to die or I'm sidetracked by something else in the news like, hey, every day now in 2020 or um, anything else. But then someone's really like gung-ho about trying to solve a problem and I'm like, the last thing I want to do is deal with you or this thing right now. I have to uh, I have to imagine that I'm not the only one thinking this, especially right now in this environment that we find ourselves in, unless you're like working on a really interesting problem that is like of the cultural zeitgeist. I, maybe you're like working to bring food or uh, relieve small small businesses that are like running out of money or help support uh, people who are unemployed or you're working in sort of, I, I don't know, I have found myself in situations where I'm just not as motivated to solve a problem as I might have been originally. One of the things that, that might be interesting to get to is almost like the flip side of this coin. So there's like the downside, like things that erode trust, um, make you want to spend less time with people. If you flip it and look at the kind of like the things that um, draw you towards motivation, things that make you more excited, we talked a little bit about societal impact. We talked about um, kind of like bigger picture existential problems. But uh, if you assume that that's true uh, already, uh, what are the types of things that increase your motivation levels to like collaborate with someone? I really need to think about it this might become more of a personal, not product management specific problem area. And the thing that I wonder about is, am I, am I conflating misanthropy with social anxiety? Am I conflating something that I don't like with something that I don't want to do as part of my job? Or possibly am I conflating a realistic feeling that I and probably many other people do feel from time to time we all have frustrating conversations with something that is ultimately probably a minority of the problem, or if it becomes a majority of the problem and it becomes too frustrating to bear is, does that mean it's no longer something that I should be doing? Um, mm. <laughs> is product management not for me? I'm well, I think you're really good at I'll, I'll uh, project a little bit of my opinion here. Um, for me, I think what gets really demotivating is when you don't, I, when you, you don't have a clear sense of the levers for mm -hmm. how to like make something better. It feels like you're trying to move a boulder and you like, no matter how you push, it just can't be moved or something like that. Or you can't even imagine yeah. how to push it. One thing I think you're good at is 
and, and something I'm trying to get better at for sure is identifying and defining the levers um, because that can increase motivation and it could also create momentum when you come into a situation where there's not a clear sense of the levers for making progress and then someone comes in and they make a compelling case for like, here's like the top two levers that we should be caring about right now that make progress mm-hmm. and something we all want. That can be really motiv- motivating. I think what gets very demotivating similarly is the levers get identified, but you disagree that those levers matter. My favorite teams that I've been on have been teams where you could debate that. You can debate that topic openly. Um, and it doesn't have to be in the form of like gossip or politics. It's more like, hey, like there's this, le- we have a narrative in which these levers are really important. I think that is the wrong narrative. I don't think it's true. It's not based on anything that makes sense to me. Um, we've all just kind of been nodding along. And I think there's an alternative narrative that we might want to like adopt in which those levers aren't really that important. And there's these other levers that are, that are more critical. And then I find Im- immense amounts of energy to like get unlocked by getting like groups of people to update the narrative so that the the levers that we're all focusing on moving are consistent with the ones I think we should be moving. And then you can get into very productive territory of like, okay, we all agree on the levers. Now let's talk about how to move the, the levers and how to, like, that's like the fun part of the job in my opinion. But I think it's those periods of trying to like adjust course and update the narrative that gets very draining energy wise because um, it really is entirely about people. Yeah, a lot of that makes a ton of sense. What I what I think I'm struggling with is I am probably more misanthropic than most product managers are, or maybe I'm not. Maybe that's a question we have to pose to a hypothetical audience of ours. Um, and that leads <laughs> to you could replace misanthropic too with whatever you mean because I know I know we we met you said maybe earlier that the way you're using it isn't exactly the way you mean to be using it. So I don't know if the, if that's exactly what you mean now that we've defined it. Well, so I, I wonder if what I was talking about before was a misuse of myth- misanthropy, but I don't think it's a misuse in the more general sense for me, mm. um, which is to say, literally just pulled up a Quora post that says, what does it feel like to be a misanthrope? What are the advantages <laughs> and disadvantages of that? And I, I, a lot of this resonates with me, like be, having strong familiarity with human behavior um, ability to identify and avoid people with negative traits, which is a really pessimistic way to think about things. Little stress to impress people uh, using unique habit, unique usage of an outsider perspective. Obvious disadvantages, feeling of disconnection or isolation from the rest of society. You may find normal people difficult to understand or frustrating. You get the idea. And what I what I am rephrasing my original question to is, why am I good at my job? which involves having to deal with, collaborate, and trust a lot of people all at once, if I believe I am a misanthrope. Yeah, there, there's, you know, okay, you could either be good at something you don't like doing, or you're good at something that you uh, actually do like doing, and you're maybe confusing it with something else. Look, you, you clearly like your space, and you're very happy with your wife and dog, uh, at home and having your space and having a large piece of property and not having to deal with like city life like I am where you have people around you all the time. So there's certain things that you've done in your life to clearly demonstrate that you like a certain distance from people. Uh, you're also working at a remote company. Um, right now everyone's working from home with COVID, but you made this decision like a year ago. So clearly there's an element also of wanting that kind of space from other people. And I agree with you somehow at the same time, 
you're an enjoyable person to work with, in my opinion, at least. So, and, and we so. don't work together. We don't work together anymore. So the fact that we're still spending time right now is indicative of you still, <laughs> like, not totally trying to distance yourself from people. Um, so I think that it, it's an interesting question and something I would keep sitting with, uh, to be honest. If I was you, I think there's like a lot to. I like to journal. I know you like to write. Did you have like a, pro a personal journaling practice or something that you don't publish? Like do your own just like fun writing to explore your thoughts and things like that? No, uh, I've been bad about journaling for the sake of journaling, but I do occasionally write things down that are in my head. I've been trying to make more of an effort to do that lately. What I don't do a good job of is actually reviewing and reflecting on those things. They just kind of enter the ether and then I rarely actually go look at them. Mm. I just need to form a habit basically. Yeah. Um, so the way I look at journaling is kind of like free therapy. Um, I've been to therapy enough times to just like know how I like it. It's like sometimes you're in a therapy session and you're like, here's what I want you to ask me, but like you can't tell them what to ask you. So you have to just like answer whatever they ask you. Yeah. But when you journal, you get to actually be the therapist patient at this, like the client at the same time. And get to like do the talking and then you get to like dig and you get to do the talking. And you get... But I think there's something interesting about balance that's kind of sticking out to me from this conversation that you, you, I think everyone has a certain balance of like alone time and like time with other people, um, a balance of like appreciation of other humans versus like not appreciating other humans. I'm definitely not the kind of person who wants to be around people all the time, but I would be lying if I told you that I can get very excited about doing things on my own for prolonged periods. Yeah. Um, like I, I have tried like, um, an example of this is like, I have friends who can go on like very long, like multi-day hikes, like all on their own and just be with their own thoughts for like three or four days, five days, two weeks in a row. That terrifies me. Um, I, I don't, I don't know if I could like do in that environment. I feel like I, I can go out for like a full, like five, six hour day hike on my own or do like a three day road trip. But I'm like, if I'm doing like a road trip, I'm calling people, I'm listening to podcasts. Like I need some kind of like conversation happening in my head. So it, it's funny because I tell some people that I listen to podcasts while doing work and they're like, how can you focus on work while you're listening to people talking? And I'm like, I don't know. It just, it, for some reason, it helps my thoughts coalesce. But for some other people, that's music. And I actually find music kind of acting um, when I'm trying to do things. It's like really weird. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I do some of those things and then the opposite in other ways. I sometimes work with, with a podcast in the background. I sometimes work with very loud punk rock music in the background. And then sometimes I listen with ambient music in the background. And sometimes I listen to silence, um, rarely silence. That's probably the rarest, but um, yeah, I, I guess that's interesting because I, I mentioned before, like I've tested as an extrovert multiple times in my life and I need that, like some noise. I do like peace and quiet occasionally, but I think I crave some kind of um, noise interaction, whatever it is. It's weird combining that with the job of a product manager and the frustrations that I seem to have. I also don't know how much of this is me feeling that in the moment that we're in right now. So this could all like be not as big of a problem in a near or far future, depending on how coronavirus ends up. So yeah, I don't really have much of a conclusion to grasp from this other than like, 
impersonal interactions are hard and <laughs> there's a balance. And if I'm not feeling good about something, I probably need to take a step away and think about it. Simple as that. Yeah. You know, I think you told me last time I'm, I'm a more uh, reflective person than you. Um, you may have said that probably, I, I, don't, I don't know if I'm more reflective than you, but I, I'm very reflective. I am constantly thinking about the relationships with the people in my life and things that could be better, uh, things I could be doing better, things I want that I'm not getting, blah, 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 et cetera. And some people are really tough to deal with, I'll be honest, because it's like, I, I can't find the common ground. Um, and I think that that's one area that, like the moment I can establish common ground with someone, like something we both care about a lot, it's like usually easier to like build from there and kind of like maybe gain even an appreciation for the differences that we have about certain like details that kind of follow. But but sometimes it feels like I, I, str I can struggle to just find something I agree on with the other person. And that's challenging because like, how are you supposed to have a productive relationship in general with someone who almost like all the way at the basic laws of physics about how things happen just doesn't agree with you. Um, I'm not talking about like actually gravity and other laws of physics, but I mean, like there are certain kind of like truths that I think a company, a team would be wise to like all agree on before proceeding into something else. Um, I, I, I don't know. I don't know if you, if that resonates with you, but when I kind of think back to like the least productive relationships that I find, I've, I think I've had with people, it's often been something like that. There's something like very core to like the way I view something that this person doesn't agree with or sees it differently. And I just think they're completely wrong about it. And oh, for sure. I'm open to being shown how I'm wrong, but they are very, they are very bad at telling me how I'm wrong. And uh, I'm ineffective at telling them how they're wrong. Yeah, I think that's a bit of it. Um, that, that a lot of that rings true to me. I, I, I guess your point is to me that it should be ideally pretty rare for that level of extreme to, like, for for you to come to that. My my gut feeling is that most of the time it's a matter of rolling with the punches and being more reflective and taking more time to step away and really think about. Am I not trusting this person? Am I like frustrated working with this person? Or do I just like need a break? Which then takes, which then begs the question, how do we, uh, how do we take breaks as a PM? There's a lot of things on our mind. This is not even just a PM thing. This, I, this could be a very generic, like, how do you avoid burnout type of conversation? It's important. Yeah. Let's talk about it. Let's, let's, yeah. let's talk about it now. How do you take breaks? It, it's really funny. Like I, I have been burned out many times in my past and I've, feel very conscious of the symptoms that I, I give off. Like I get very exasperated. I get very um, quick to jump on people rather than I, I, I become much more talk, talk before listen rather than listen before talk. And I get more frustrated with people more quickly. I also feel like this is an interesting time right now because I, I was actually having a conversation with a coworker the other day about how, I don't feel like I even could get burned out because of all of the things that are distracting me in my personal life from work. But I guess that that would lead to a different type of burnout where I'm not burnt out by work. I'm just burned out, period. Or mm. I'm burned out from just the sheer cognitive load of everything, which then turns into a question of like, how much am I really able or willing to put into this job, which is paying my salary and paying my mortgage and all of that stuff. So right now, my 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 avoidance of burnout tactic is 
really trying to just like not worry too much about things put it like literally i put it in my my task my to-do list app of choice which happens to be things which we don't have to get into that and i just come back to it later when i'm comfortable dealing with it um which has led to some like really like interesting good or bad things like i'll put something into things i i won't put like a due date on it because it's just like i i'll come to this when i come to this and then someone sometimes it's my wife will come to me being like we talked about this thing you were supposed to do a couple of days ago and i was like honestly i couldn't even think about it i just need to put it somewhere i will come back to it when i can um mm. and that's like that's been helpful for me to just like not get too overwhelmed by some things because i'm now at a point where like there's too many things i need to either do or just worry about in a given day that i i need to just like defer it to later i spent a lot of time thinking about like how do i even like organize all of these things so that i don't get overwhelmed with the cognitive load of like all of the possible things have you ever heard of four pillars theory um or four burners theory i've also heard no no i don't think so so the the general idea is think about a stovetop with four burners on it you can only really prioritize maybe two or three of them at a time one of them can't be going otherwise like your house will catch on fire or something like that i don't remember exactly what the metaphor is but it's just a metaphor for focus in your life like if you have four things or possibly like six things who's to say that you could possibly prioritize in your life and i'm not talking like tasks or projects i'm talking like broad areas of interest maybe your home life your relationship your career, your personal health, your creative pursuits, whatever it is. You can only really focus on like a couple of them at a time. You can't focus on all of them. And I think it even goes so far to say is like you can only, you have to put always at least one thing down in order to be successful at the others. And that's what I've like been forced to do is I organize all of my stuff into like six different areas, five, I don't remember how many they are. There are and I have to do my best job to be like, I'm not going to care about this one thing today. Product therapy, our podcast is one of those things right now. Unfortunately, it's like a pretty light load. It's like an hour to 90 minutes a week talking with you. And then maybe an hour to two hours of editing because I don't spend a lot of time editing this. If it was any more than that, I'd, I'd have to just like not think about it. And I specifically like don't think about it many days during the week. Um, my music pursuits, I just like don't think about and I, I need to make a better habit of like putting that two or three hour block into my calendar to just like sit down and record music or just like put ideas down um which then gets differently frustrating if i'm like not in the right headspace to do that during that time block so there's like more there but like I, i've had to to get back to your actual question like start really segmenting my life out into these different areas and be like i'm just not going to care about this area today um sometimes i get it right sometimes i get it wrong but that's that's what i've had to do yeah I, um, I think everyone has to find what works for them. I think that for me, uh, vacations are so, vacations are important. Right now it's tough because I can't really travel. Um, but I think that's important. I think getting outside, getting some fresh air, taking a step out. Uh, when I, after a few months at Abstract, someone started, um, someone told me they deleted Slack from their phone. And I was like, you can do that? And they're like, yeah, I'll just, I'll check my laptop, you know, like every, the most I'll go is like two hours without checking Slack and I'll be like, hmm, I should try that. And I started doing that and it was like, it, it did wonders for my my ability to like actually feel disconnected when I was out uh, of the house. I actually um, did this exact same thing this past week. I just like decided to delete, delete that. 
Jira, like everything that is not a work app other than my email, it's, it's gone. And how are you feeling now that you don't have those things on your phone? A little, I, I had a couple of days of like minor anxiety, um, but it quickly fell apart. Like I, I was able to, let's say I'm taking Rosie, the, my puppy for a walk. I, I just, I, I can't get any notifications about work and it is what it is. And I'll come back to it in a half an hour and it's fine. Yeah. Boundaries are important. Yeah. Boundaries are important. Everyone's doing it right now. I think there's an interesting question of just what does it mean to take a break? It's so cliche to say, but I think I've never run a marathon, but I I do view like a career as like a marathon, right? Or it's more of like a series of marathons. Yeah. Um, And I think that my understanding is like, you need to find a good sustainable pace, like when you're running um, to, 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 and I feel like that's kind of the, um, I think that really should be the goal ultimately of this whole conversation or not that this whole conversation, but the conversation around like taking breaks, not avoiding burnout, whatever that whole topic. Um, to me, the thing I'm actually aiming at and trying to figure out is just how to find that like sustainable pace that I can just keep going. And it feels like I can do this for years. Like this is, this is great. Yeah. I feel you. I also think about like, do I want to be doing this sustainable thing for years? Could I just like, do, do I actually enjoy working really, really intensely on a thing and then just stepping out for a week or whatever, however much time? And is that a way that I prefer to work? If I need, if that, that is how I prefer to work, then I better be good at separating when I'm actually stepping out. So yeah, I think that's probably a matter of personal preference, but yeah, like choosing to prioritize and deprioritize those different kind of pillar areas, like actually taking time off and very relieved to have a week uh, off in I think two weeks we're not probably not going to do anything I'm probably just going to stay at home and like try and work on our garden that we're starting to build or something but it'll be time where everything is shut off or deleted from devices that is work related I'm not going to delete everything from my devices but maybe I'll go totally like internet cold turkey and nobody can contact me until Sunday <laughs> I uh I think it's a good move and I, I hope you enjoy it um maybe we'll still do a podcast during that week but you can decide oh yeah podcasting is fine podcasting is safe podcasting i consider a creative endeavor which is one of those pillars i would highly prioritize during that week off (laughs) awesome well um it's probably a good spot to wrap for now unless you want to add anything else but i was just going to go out and take a take a walk with george no i agree i think it's a good place to stop cool well thanks again for doing all the editing and uh whatnot on this and uh we'll talk next time yeah